here and we love military missions and I'm, I'm saying like your pastor I was called to preach in a military church amen and I met my wife in a military church amen and today I serve in a military church and uh, it's special to me and um, it's just a unique opportunity when you are 6,000 miles from home and high school friends are not there and mom and dad are not there and there you are and uh, I tell you, one person who's there is the devil. The devil's there. Uh, and a very, mm, temp- temptation runs high in those places. Uh, I mentioned Barro there at Yakota. And uh, when I was at Turkey at Indrelik Air Base, as soon as you walk outside, they had what is called the alley. I don't know about Germany and Korea, but I'm sure as soon as you go off base, there's, uh, there's the devil waiting to destroy your life. And that's why God calls men and puts them right outside the bases. And they preach the gospel and they tell people that there is a God in heaven who loves them and gave his only begotten son to die in their place. And um, see people saved and called to preach and do all those things. And it's a special, special opportunity. I thank God that he's called us to do that. My wife is with us tonight. She's feeling much better. Thank you for your prayers, Aruna, and then Titus, Asa, Silas. As he's exiting to the bathroom. <laughs> and, um, and, of course, our daughter, Phoebe. And our, our, yeah, our display is out there. And we were about two years on deputation. And we started out with the big, I mean, this wide and up like this. And it was huge. And then we had the table. And we brought, like, coffee cans and uh, cylinders. And we kind of made, like, a mountain thing and a blue cloth. And we really, and after about a couple of months traveling with that, I thought, there must be a better way. <laughs> and so we scrapped that, and we went from this to just as, as small as you can. And I, it's nice to walk into a church with a little orange bag, and I, you know, I can set up wherever you want me to. And, and I put it in that chair if you need me to. <laughs> uh, but it's good. And uh, thank you for letting us uh, be with you tonight. Military missions is good. Um, please pray for your troops over there. Basically, we are a... Uh, you know, I'm a missionary, and my job is is to win that base to Christ and to get them the gospel. Um, we have technically no affiliation with the base. It's not like uh, there's no government assistance or anything like that. We are, for all intents and purposes, we live on the Japanese economy, and we are there to win that uh, those people to Christ, and we do that. Uh, and we see people come to get saved. I think of one guy, and he's from California. And he came on on a Sunday and sat about midway back like this. One of his co-workers, uh, who also was from California, went up to him. And we had the little Baptist bread uh, devotionals. And he went up to him and he said, hey, man, you want some Baptist bread? <laughs> and that guy said, okay. So he came and he sat like this the whole time. And uh, I think he may have shook my hand on the way out, but it wasn't anything. It was, it, I thought, oh, that guy's never coming back. And lo and behold, two weeks later, he came back. And afterwards, he, he said, I'd like to talk to you. I said, okay, that'd be great. So he came, uh, he came over, and, and we talked. And his question was this. Now, this is where people are today. This is where young, he's probably at this point 22, 23 years old. This is, he's married and has a couple of kids. He's stationed 6,000 miles from home. And he comes up to me and he says, do you use any other books than the Bible? And I thought, well, I mean, I read 
other book. I, well, I said, what do you mean? And he said, I come from a Jehovah's Witness background where it's the Bible and then also uh, the watchtower and all of those things. And he said, I know that the Mormons have the Bible, and then they also use doctrines and covenants in the Book of Mormon. And he said, I want to know, do you have any other books that you use? And I said, no, sir. No, sir. Right here. This is it. This is all we, this is it. <laughs> and he said, he said, I wish I could just uh, erase everything that I've been taught. He grew up Jehovah's Witness. He said, I wish I could just erase everything I've been taught and just know what this book says. I said, well, you're in the right place, brother, and I uh, shared the gospel with him, and Daniel trusted Christ. A couple weeks later, his wife got saved, baptized both of them, and uh, they're, they're due to PCS, I think, within the coming year, and he's already contacted me wanting to know, you know, do you have any church recommendations as they go forward to California, and I think they're getting stationed back in California, and, you know, that, that's, that's what it's all about. That, that's what you do. Another thing that military, that, that military missions does also is sometimes some of your family who come to good, independent, fundamental, King James Bible Baptist churches, they get stationed over in foreign lands. And where the, what are they going to do for church? I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to throw off on the chaplaincy, but... <laughs> Uh, if you, <laughs> he said, go ahead. I'll just say this. They're going to get a paycheck whether you go to their services or not. They're a government employee. Bottom line. And I know that there's good ones, but there's also some other ones. And these churches exist as kind of an oasis out in the middle of a, you know, spiritually, I mean, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And then you go and you see, oh, here's a good church. These people believe just like my home church back in Texas or just like my home church back in Rapid City or just like my home church back in, you know, in Hillsville, Virginia. It's just exactly the same. I mean, if you come to our church, we sing the same songs. We even do those scripture songs from time to time. You know Ken Cronin? Yeah, he was over there, amen. <laughs> and he was here too, right. He comes from Alaska, and that's where they got that stuff from, Amen. Uh, up at Pastor Duffus Church, I've been up there at TDY from time to time, and uh, Mark Rogers was an evangelist. He came over there and sang those songs. Uh, what, what are you saying? That's a great place for families when you get stationed over there. Hey, what, it's great to be able to go to a church and get plugged in and serve the Lord uh, there. Third prong of this is we do reach out to the local Japanese uh, that are there. In the Tokyo area, there's 39 million people. 39 million, and uh, so it's kind of tight, um, and those people are really, they are nice people, they are polite, my soul, are they polite, okay, <laughs> they are polite, they are quiet, um, very respectful, but very much lost, very mm, stooped in superstition, like you wouldn't believe. When the Bible says that the God of this world hath blinded the, the minds of them that believe not, look no further than those folks. I, I tell people this about the Japanese. They have three different alphabets they use all the time. They have hiragana, katakana, and then they have kanji. And kanji is uh, influenced basically from China, and it's those symbols. And there's 50,000 kanjis. 
and they all have it. You look at it and it has a meaning and, you know, this, that, and the other. Um, I found this very interesting. The word that they have for kanji in, in, uh, for big ship, like if they want to write big ship, they write a ship with the number eight and mouths. Eight mouths on a ship equals big ship. Now, some of you Bible scholars out there, how many people are on Noah's Ark? Eight. In one of the most ancient languages on the planet, that's a truth. It's in their own language. Eight mouths on a ship makes big ship. I mean, you think about that. Why eight mouths? Why not seven? Why not four? Why, I mean, <laughs> that's because there was a flood, amen. And there were eight people on the ark, and that was a big ship. The word for righteousness, you're like, this one, we could preach right here, but we won't. The word for righteousness in Japanese kanji is a lamb on you. That equals righteousness, a lamb on you. Hey, of all the ways to come up with and write righteousness... Where in the world would you come up with taking a lamb and putting it on a person, and that equals righteousness? Folks, that, that is the imputed righteousness of the Lamb of God. We're, not a single one of us are going to heaven unless you have the imputed righteousness of the Lamb of God uh, imputed to your account. I think probably that may go all the way back to the garden uh, where Adam and Eve sinned against God, and God had to clothe them. And he, it says that he clothed them in animal skins. It doesn't say what kind of animals, but as I read my Bible, I don't think it's too far-fetched to think that probably it was a lamb because Jesus was the lamb of God, slain from the foundations of the world. Uh, when they got out of Egypt, they had to slay the lamb. And here in one of the most ancient languages on the planet, the word for righteousness is a lamb on you equals righteousness. But see, the thing is, they are blind to that. They have no idea. And it's right in front of them. And they don't, they don't get it. But we try to reach them with the gospel. They're very uh, superstitious people, very much into ancestor worship and uh, different things like that, just odd things. The devil's got them blinded, but we try to reach them with the gospel too. We pass out. We go down to the train stations and we pass out hundreds uh, of tracks and on uh, upcoming, they're having a friendship festival. We've ordered 3,000 gospel tracts. We'll go out and pass out those. We'll pass out 3,000 tracts in about 45 minutes. It's just like this, you know. Uh, but please pray for those folks. They need Christ too. And the Olympics are coming up, and I think there's, there's going to be a big push for people to come and try to witness to those folks. I, I kind of say, if you need people, just come on now. There's just 39 million there. <laughs> I mean, come on over and have fun. But that's, that's what we do, and uh, we've been doing it for five years, and we're on our first furlough traveling from Virginia, and actually we're heading, we were out all the way to Roy, Utah, and now we're here with you folks in Rapid City. Next Sunday, uh, Lord willing, we'll be in Fridley, Minnesota, and then down to Iowa, and then on to Missouri, and then Nashville, and then back home. And so it'd be a, we're doing a big loop here, uh, but we appreciate your prayers. And, and again, Pastor, thank you for the opportunity, and I appreciate this church. Good spirit in this church. I enjoy the singing, amen, and uh, the, the fellowship. Let's take our Bibles tonight and turn with me to um, 
Let's look at Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. You know, sometimes when we uh, go out to purchase a vehicle, there may be what we would call a deal breaker in that vehicle. Maybe you like the color, you like the make, you like the model, and then you're talking to the salesman and he says, yeah, it's been wrecked. It's been in, a, in a, an accident. It's got a salvage title. You may go, ooh, that's a bit of a deal breaker right there. Or you say, and how many miles does it have? And he says, well, the odometer broke. Uh, we don't really know. We think it's about 75,000. That might be a deal breaker right there. I mean, you know, when you are dating, you teens, there might be some deal breakers with it. <laughs> She's pretty, but. Or, yeah, he's cute, but. Maybe some deal breakers here and there for house. You look at the house, you like the house. Somebody said the, the most important thing about a house is uh, three most important things. Number one is location. Number two is location. And number three is location. <laughs> and that, you might like everything about the house, but that might be a deal breaker for you. And in, in the work of missions, we'll read here, there can be some potential deal breakers, some things that would put the brakes on us doing the work of God. And uh, I will look at those this evening, but look at chapter 20. Uh, Paul is on his missionary journeys. He's, he's arrived at Ephesus. He calls the elders of Ephesus, and he just wants to encourage them. And this is the, this is the message tonight. Christians must remain steadfast in missions work. Now is not the time to quit. Now is not the time to throw in the towel. Now is not the time to back up. We must remain steadfast in supporting missionaries, going out, preaching the gospel everywhere we go. Christians must remain steadfast in that. And, and that's where Paul is. Let's begin reading in chapter 20, verse number 17. And from Miletus, uh, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, Ye know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations, which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But watch verse 24. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Uh, missions deal breakers tonight. Christians must remain steadfast in missions work. And before we go any further, I'd like to call for an example of the most steadfast, the most faithful person ever to walk this earth would be none other than the man of Nazareth the man of Calvary, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
You want to talk about a man that fulfilled every minute of his life in accordance to the will of God. That was the Lord Jesus Christ himself. What a Savior that we have. He's no, uh, there's no one else. What an example of steadfastness uh, in, in, in God's work. Uh, just brag on the Savior just a minute. He's our sin bearer. Amen. Amen. He is the sin bearer who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. Uh, what a wonderful truth that is. Uh, you know, Yokota Air Base is a C-130 base, and those, those C-130s, they take medical supplies or they take uh, different supplies. They, they, they take those supplies and they put them on that C-130, and that C-130 bears that, that load. And uh, we're traveling around in a Dodge van, amen. And that minivan is bearing the load of the McKittrick family from town to town. But when it comes to our sin, it all goes over on Christ. He is the bearer of our sins. Hallelujah. And sometimes you hear people give testimony that they say, man, I felt like the weight of the world was lifted off of me when I trusted Christ as my Savior. Uh, could it be that they have, they have understood he's the sin bearer? Thank God he bears our sin. So if you have sin, it goes on him, and actually the righteousness of God comes over on you. Amen. It sounds too good to be true, hallelujah, but it's all by faith, hallelujah. You just trust in that he is the sin bearer. He's our substitute for Christ hath also once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust. What a wonderful truth that is. He's our substitute. You and I, as our preacher preached this morning, the cross, he, he went for us. He was our substitute. Should have been you and me suffering what we owe God, but thank God for the substitute. He died for you. He died for me. He's the sin bearer. He's the substitute, and he was the sacrifice, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Hallelujah, what a Savior. And if you don't know Jesus as your Savior tonight, I'm telling you, there is, no, there is nothing else than Christ. There is no other way to get right with God. There is no other uh, thing that you can do to earn righteousness. It must be given to you, and it can be given to you and will be given to you if you'll simply put your faith and trust in Him and the finished work at Calvary. And if you've never trusted Christ, I beg and plead with you tonight, it will be the greatest decision you have ever made in your life to know that he died for you and you have received him and you've received the gift of God and you can rest easy at night and then you, your life changes, amen. I like the fact that my life changed when I trusted Christ as my Savior. I'm not everything I'm supposed to be, but thank God I'm not what I used to be. And you say, what's that because? That's because of Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ died for my sin. And if you don't know Christ, I beg you, place your faith and trust in him. He'll save anyone that will call upon him. He's not a way. He's not the best way. He's the only way. And uh, I beg you to trust him tonight. 
But Christians, we've got to remain steadfast in missions work. Okay, well, preacher, what are a couple of deal breakers? What would, what could, what potential could stop us from sharing the gospel? Well, I'll share you, I, I will look at two potential deal breakers tonight. A deal breaker number one would be opposition from unbelievers. And as the dear preacher preached this morning uh, in Sunday school, anytime you want to set out to do something for God, you can expect some pushback on that. If you make your mind tonight and you say, God help me tomorrow, I'm going to serve God, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go witness to my coworker. Just go ahead and mark it down. Some opposition's coming. There, the devil just doesn't let it just happen. I mean, if you want to go out and serve God, you will face opposition. And, and, and really, I mean, look what Paul says there in verse number uh, 19. Serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. Uh, Paul could testify as he went from town to town. There was opposition most of the time from the Jewish people. The, the unsaved uh, Jewish crowd who were trusting in their own righteousness. So they were, they were the lost religious crowd. And they would, man, they would stone him. And it didn't just start with Paul. But I mean, at the, when the church was starting to go out, man, there was persecution. And you go back to the birth of Christ. And I mean, Herod wanted to prevent Christ. And you can go back to, I mean, just when, when God called Abraham, there was opposition. When Moses was leaving Egypt, there was opposition. And you go all the way back to the garden. There was opposition always. And so if you are experiencing opposition, and, and even as our preacher preached today, in the, when they tried to build the, uh, the temple back, opposition. If you're experiencing opposition today, welcome to the club. Welcome to the club. <laughs> I'm just telling you. Uh, I... I when I was stationed at, at Yakota, I was trying to be a witness for Christ, and uh, they have these MWR people come around from time to time, and they put on different displays. Well, one of the ladies that came, it was, um, she called herself Jeanette Lee. She was the black widow. She was a pool player. Anybody ever heard of Jeanette Lee? And she was just wearing those people out. I mean, you missed one shot, and then she just ran the table. And I was an AFN broadcaster, so I interviewed her, and I interviewed some of the different people and, and did that kind of stuff. After it was all over, she was signing autographs, and I went back, and I got out of my uniform, and I came back in street clothes and civilian clothes, and I went up, and I, and, and I got her autograph, and I gave her a gospel track from our church. And just I said, I don't know if you're, uh, you know, if you're saved, but you know, God loves you, and he wants you to be saved, and, and probably invited her to church. Well, Monday morning, I go into the office, and I get called in. My office was joint, so we had all services in there, and my immediate supervisor was a gunnery sergeant, a Marine gunnery sergeant, McGuff from uh, Syracuse, New York. And he calls me into his office, McKittrick, you can't be giving out gospel tracts. Did you give out gospel tracts on Friday night? MWR call over here, and they complain against you, you can't be doing that. Not in uniform, you can't do that in uniform. I said, Gunny, I actually wasn't in uniform. Oh, is that right? So yeah, I wasn't in uniform. I actually had changed into civilian clothes. Okay, that's no problem, dude. Okay, that's okay. <laughs> it's just, 
what do you say? I'm saying if you want, if you try to really serve the Lord, just mark it down. There's going to be some pushback against you. It's always been that way, and it will always be that way. The devil is our enemy. Uh, he's a deceiver. Uh, the Bible says, uh, Paul would say in 2 Timothy 4, 7, I fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I've kept the faith. I mean, just on down through the line, when anybody wanted to do something for God, there was always opposition. But can I tell you this? The Bible teaches us that the gates of hell shall not prevail against the work of the Lord. So they can oppose all they want to, but we're on the winning side. We're going forward. God is with us. He hasn't left us helpless on this planet. He has promised, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. The blessed Holy Spirit indwells believers. And we can go forward in the strength, not in our own strength, but in the strength of the Son of God and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we can accomplish what God has called us to do. And they can fight against that and they will fight against that. But greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So if you're facing opposition tonight, let me just encourage you, keep on going. Keep on going. If you're facing it, welcome to the club. Just mark it down. It's going to be like that. Paul would testify in verse 24, none of these things move me. He faced opposition, but he could testify, none of these things move me. Let me give you the second deal breaker, potential deal breaker. And that's uh, this, an uncertain future. We're trying to do the work of the Lord, but then we get sometimes paralyzed because we say, but I don't know what's going to happen in the future. Man, I don't know. I mean, uh, I'd, like to, I'd like to surrender my life to the call of the gospel or whatever God has for me, but I don't know what's going to happen. I'd like to give more this year to missions. I want to support more missionaries. But I don't know if my job's going to, I don't know. And, and here's what happens. The fear of an uncertain future uh, paralyzes us. And we think, I, I don't know. So what we end up doing is we just, uh, I'm just going to sit here. Kind of like those guys in Haggai where they said, oh, they said stop doing it. So, mm, okay, we'll just, we'll, just, we'll just stop with the work of the Lord. We'll just handle our own. And, and it's an uncertain future. I mean, Paul had an uncertain future. Look what he says there in verse number 22. And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. Paul would say, I don't even know what's going to happen, other than I'm probably going to jail. <laughs> but outside of that, I don't know what's going to happen. I go from city to city, and the Holy Ghost keeps saying, you're going to be put in jail. You're going to be put in jail. And outside of that, I don't know what's going to happen. Verse 24, but none of these things move me. It was a potential deal breaker, the uncertainty of the future. And it's true. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't, we don't know. And the Bible teaches that. The Bible teaches in James 4.14, whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. Proverbs 27, 1 says, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. The truth is we don't know the immediate future. We don't, we're not promised, you know, of tonight. David would, would say there's but one step between me and death when he was on the run from Saul. We're not promised, um, you know, of, of the next day. I, well, I'd say that our future is 
our eternal future is looking good, looking real good. Look forward to eternity. It's going to be great. But what's going to happen tonight? I don't know. What's going to happen tomorrow? I don't know. But here's the thing. Keep on going for Christ. Paul says, I don't know what's going to happen, not knowing the things which shall befall me other than I'm probably going to jail. But none of these things move me. And we've got to get it in, in, in our hearts and in our minds. Hey, I don't know all that's going to happen, but none of these things move me. I'm going to remain constant. I'm going to remain steadfast in the work of the Lord. And can we say this? You can, you can remain steadfast in the work of the Lord. Again, um, because God cares for you. And he loves you. He knows all about you. Uh, and Jesus was teaching on, uh, on the Sermon on the Mount. He, he talked about, you know, he knows all the sparrows and he knows that very hairs on your head. No jokes there, please. But he knows. He knows all about you. He knows, uh, he says, don't worry for the things of tomorrow. They'll take care of them themselves. Look, he says, look at the fields that are clothed with all these lilies. And he says, I'm telling you, Solomon wasn't arrayed like one of these fields. And this field is going to be here today, cut down and put in the oven tomorrow. But he says, don't worry. You are much more valuable than a field. I was sitting outside the other day and, uh, in Virginia, and it was early in the morning, and this hummingbird came right where I was, and that'll startle you, because it has a, and you're like, whoa, what is this? And I saw him go around to the different tree, to the little flowers, and he, you know, his wings were just continually like, like really fast, you know, hummingbirds. And I thought, how does he keep that speed up? continually like that because you know if we if we go for a run uh, we might be able to sprint for 10 seconds or something but after about you know 15 we're, we're just like okay need a break I can't keep this up I can't keep up this speed but yet this little hummingbird he keeps that speed up and he goes from flower to flower and he's got this long beak and he goes in that beak sticks into the flower and he gets exactly what he needs for that little moment there and God has I was just watching that thing I thought man God's taking care of this little hummingbird everything that hummingbird needs God has given to him he didn't evolve amen right there that's my hobby horse I I try not to get onto it I try not to preach against evolution all the time I try not to go into the detail on how evolution is completely unscientific. I try not to get, get on that evolution is unsupportable. There is absolutely zero evidence that a, one kind of an animal changes into another kind of animal. I try not to make fun of evolution that would tell you that one animal actually turns into another animal. I, I try not to labor the point that evolution would tell you that this uh, table here could produce life, which is completely unscientific and unobservable and goes against the law of science, which is biogenesis, that this life produces life. Things that don't have life can't produce. This piano, you, you won't come in here tomorrow and be like, oh, wow, there's a giraffe in the room. That piano, I guess, did it. I, but if you believe evolution, you have to be like, well, I guess that's true. 
It's ridiculous, folks. It's a lie from the devil who when they knew the glory of God, they believed not that they changed the glory of God into a lie. And that's evolution. But I try not to get too much on that. But I was just looking at a little hummingbird, and he was made by God. And God takes care of that little hummingbird, and God, he, he meets all the needs of that little hummingbird. And he says, you and I, we're way more valuable than little hummingbirds, than little sparrows. And we're going to go do the work of God. And we don't know all that the future holds, but we know who holds the future. And he cares for you. And he'll strengthen you, and he'll, and he'll encourage you, uh, and, and he'll guide you. I like what Walter Cronkite, uh, the old newscaster from years gone by, I'm told he used to close his broadcast every day. He would say, I'm Walter Cronkite, and that's the way it is, September 8th, 1975. He'd always conclude his newscast, I'm Walter Cronkite, and that's the way it is, and that's the way it is. And old Vance Havner stood up in his living room one night and said, no, Mr. Cronkite, that's the way it seems. This is the way it is. Amen, Amen on that. I like that. Yeah. This is the way it is, folks. Paul would say, none of these things move me. I'm fine. I, I, every place I go, the, man, the Jews and others, they're against me. And I don't know what's going to happen other than I'm probably going to jail. Verse 24, but none of these things move me. Message for us, remain steadfast. Yeah, there might be some deal breakers. In the dead of summer, if that car does not have air conditioning, that's a deal breaker. But in the spiritual life, in the Christian life, let's just remain steadfast. Let's keep on going. Yeah, there may be some opposition, and yeah, there may be some uncertainties as to the future. Let's side up with Paul who said, none of these things move me. I'm going to finish the course that God has given us. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, we certainly thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the uh, testimony of the Apostle Paul who he, he would say nothing's going to move him. Lord, we thank you that we can look at our blessed Savior and see the steadfast, to see the one who set his face like a flint to accomplish the will of the Father. God, I pray that you would help us, Lord, just remain steadfast in getting the gospel around the world. Though opposition may come, though uncertain days may come, God, may we remain steadfast in the mission that you've given to us. Help us, we do pray, in Jesus' name, amen.